turning the microphone on, I'm going to do a May reading log. So just going to go through some books that I'm reading or that I read in May. First one, Musashi, still going. I'm reading like one or two pages a night. So this is a little bit slow going, but great fiction book. I do think that it would have been better to read a shorter book to get back into fiction, but it's definitely good. And it's always worth it. Sometimes it's like pretty slow going. And then (laughs) this is just me as a shallow idiot. It's just awesome. Once there's actually a sword fight, sometimes there's a lot of buildup to get there. But then once the sword fight happens, it's, it's brutal, awesome, great descriptions. And then it goes back to uh, the life lessons and things like that, disguised life lessons. I'll do, I guess, a, a longer episode on this, but in the future, once I finish it in 2027, something like that. Actually, I only have maybe like 300 pages left. It's 900 pages, so I'm about two-thirds of the way through. And good read. If you're into 900-page books, check it out. The other books that I've read that are this long are more books that I kind of read just because they were long, which sounds stupid. I understand my reading choices are somewhat stupid that I did read Infinite Jest, and a lot of that was to be able to say I read Infinite Jest. I've, I've told this story maybe on the podcast before, but I, I like spent not, not the entire summer, but it was like my summer project was to read this book and I would kind of bring it everywhere in my backpack and read it and not really understand. It's very dense, not really understand what was going on, but it was, it was also like very entertaining too in parts, but I just didn't understand really what I guess like the, the macro view of infinite jest of what like the subtext is the commentary. I like read that whole thing, read that book and then Maybe a month later, I read a synopsis, or not a synopsis, but like a recap of it, an essay about it by Aaron Schwartz, then realized like, I don't know anything at all. I don't know. I didn't know what was going on. I'd like to read it again, but it is quite long, so I'm not sure that I will. There's the the best joke about people that want to read Infinite Jest, I think, was in Simon Rich. He has, he, he's an author, comedy writer, and had the show Man Seeking Woman, which was great. And anyway, it's just about dating and that kind of thing. And then there's just just a shot of, well, the guy is getting his apartment ready. And then there's a shot where he's trying to place infinite jest on his nightstand in just the right angle uh, so that you can't miss it. So that's one book. I also, I didn't finish Atlas Shrugged, which also is probably about a thousand pages. I got really, really, really far. I think it was like to page 700. And I always remember I was on an airplane and then there's this very long, there's a speech in this book. And then I was like, wow, this, this has been going on for pretty long. And there's no like paragraph breaks from what I remember. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm freaking misremembering that, but it was just like blocks and blocks and blocks of text. And I think it ends up being something like 70 pages. And then that was, I, I think I just never finished it after that. So I don't know what happens. I'll often hear it referenced as like, oh, this encaps- encapsulates some kind of philosophy, which I don't really know. I think it's about like the positive, like it, it's about capitalism and it being good and just being like how people will evolve. I don't know. I I shouldn't speak about it because I don't actually know. I should have reviewed Wikipedia before talking about it, at least. Anyway, Musashi, great fiction book. 
I mean, historical fiction. If you like samurai culture, then you'll probably enjoy Musashi. Or, let's see. After this, I will probably get back to science fiction for things that I'm reading as far as fiction goes. Next book is Effortless. I just did a podcast episode, a full one, on this. And I'll just share a quote from the book here. So he says, this is by Greg McEwen. He says, effortless inversion means looking at problems from the opposite perspective. It means asking, what if this could be easy? It means learning to solve problems from a state of focus, clarity, and calm. It means getting good at getting things done by putting in less effort. I think taken to the extreme, thinking that like life will just be completely effortless, that's not the point. That can be, but it's looking at different things in life that could be easier. And there are certain things that could be effortless, that not everything needs to be hard, and that you will be better off separating hard work and value that, yes, there are very valuable things. There's that. I just heard this. I think it's like a basketball coach. I forget what team this was, but NBA playoffs going on right now that everything valuable is on the other side of hard work. I think that can be true, that there are some things that just require hard work, but there are other things that are valuable that don't require that hard work. Taking walks is one thing that comes to mind as far as like long-term health goes. If you are unhealthy, take a 30-minute walk every day. Good things will happen, and it's roughly as close to effortless as exercise can get, and it goes a long way for physical and mental health. So not everything that is valuable requires hard work. Not everything you work hard on is going to be valuable. I can work as hard as possible on a film for an, a year by myself, and I'm not going to be able to create Avengers Endgame. Like, there's just, it's not going to happen. I'm not even going to really have a good shot at getting a movie to theater or any shot at all, really. And yeah, sure, it depends on how you define value, but in this case, it would be clear. Let's just say it's like box office revenue that some movies the amount of effort that went into them is going to be a lot higher than other movies. And then the box office results aren't always just about how hard you worked on it, that things can be easier. Good things can happen from things that were not that hard. And I guess another example, like example of this where hard work doesn't mean that the value is there is that, there's the whole documentary about Game of Thrones, the last season. I think it's now my watch has ended, or the last watch. It's it's a documentary just about the last season, and a lot of it is around the big battle episode where it was just super, 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 super hard to film. And that season just didn't pay off no matter how hard it was. I mean, I liked it. I was, I was fine with it. I, I didn't. I don't hate everybody involved with Game of Thrones, or think that Game of Thrones was a waste of time just because the last season wasn't perfect. But yeah, just like how hard they worked is not directly related to how good the show turned out. I guess you could probably argue like, oh, but the writers didn't. Benioff and Weiss didn't didn't work hard enough on it. But anyway, the point is. 
some things are easier, some things are harder. They're not always directly related to value. And effortless is about looking for the things that could be made easier without sacrificing on the value side. Next up, the art and business of online writing. I did an episode on this and then ended up, I think, just not posting the whole thing. It, it was one of those, like the quality just wasn't there, which might surprise you because I don't <laughs> post a lot of stuff up where maybe the quality isn't super high. But the art and business of online online writing, this is by Nicholas Cole. He built up a huge audience. For Well, first he was writing about World of Warcraft and then... He wrote answers every day on Quora for, I think, well, at least a year. And then I think it was for maybe multiple years, then built an audience on Medium. Anyway, great book specifically about writing online, writing for online platforms. I've been trying to write more on Twitter. And anyway, so here's a quote from the book. Writing online is a game. I first started playing the game in 2007. I was 17 years old, a junior in high school, and one of the top World of Warcraft players in North America. That's the end of the quote. And yeah, he talks about just getting that daily practice in. He runs Ship 30 for 30. And it, it is a course that I joined, a course community that I joined. And then have not, I started kind of hot and had kind of trailed off a little bit in the past few days. It, I just was, it, it was not effortless. That's what I would say is it was just too hard. And I've really been thinking about like, how can I make this easier and effortless made me just like look at the things that I make. And podcasting feels so effortless compared to writing. And then it is that value thing of maybe these aren't like the greatest podcast episodes in the world. I know that. But neither are the essays that I was writing on Twitter. Like those would be, I would argue, less valuable than these podcast episodes, just in terms of many things. Like if I'm defining personal value for growth and learning that I think the podcast helps me share those ideas, make connections between different things that I'm reading. Like right now I'm making this connection between effortless and art and business of online writing and didn't plan that, but it came out through talking where it feels very painful for me sometimes when I've tried to write these essays. And it's not that writing in particular, like for whatever reason, that mindset of, oh, this is going to be published somewhere and judged is something I need to get used to, but it does just make the writing hard. And that is kind of the point of the course is that it needs, it shouldn't, once you get the reps in, it's not as painful to do that kind of thing. But I do just notice that the things that I write on my blog, the things that I do write into the void are just more fun. And I don't know why I can't do that when I'm writing on Twitter, but it is something to learn. And this book does give really good detailed advice about even like down to like how to structure your headlines, how to structure sentences and paragraphs. So would definitely recommend it if you're learning to write online, learning copywriting. It it has a lot of the lessons that you'd learn in copywriting books about writing sales pages, but is very specific toward writing for online platforms. And there's a nice reframe in here that often advice you'll hear is start a blog but in this book, it's explicit about like, don't start a blog, start writing somewhere where you can get feedback and you'll improve as a writer much faster. Next up soundtracks. I did a full podcast on this just now, actually, like right before I recorded this episode. No, I didn't. I did it the effortless episode, but soundtracks I did last week 
And here's a quote. There are three actions to change your thoughts from a super problem into a superpower. Retire your broken soundtracks, replace them with new ones, repeat them until they're as automatic as the old ones. Retire, replace, repeat. That's the end of the quote. Really, really, really like this book, and I've been thinking about it a lot. I even got this, I, I just put it on, this white rubber band. It's like a Livestrong band, but it's white and has no words on it and doesn't go to a good cause. But it helps me think about reframing and soundtracks. The reason that I got it is I was reminded of this other book called A Complaint-Free World, where you can, the, the way to support that book or like support that cause was, I don't know if that one went to a cause, but the, the author sold or probably still sells purple bands. And anytime you complain, you move the rubber band or like the wristband from your left or from your current wrist to the other wrist. And then think of something think of, yeah, just as a reminder to not complain so much. And that is kind of mentioned in soundtracks. So soundtracks is just about positive thinking, not positive thinking, but reframing and replacing negative thinking and being more deliberate about your thoughts. The analogy of soundtracks is that we have a lot of the soundtracks are your inner thoughts. And a lot of us just default to negative thoughts that can repeat over and over and over. So being more deliberate, curating your playlist of inner thoughts, being able to switch tracks when you recognize that a broken soundtrack is going on. And one of the example, examples in there is to, to do the reframe would be when I complain, I will then think of something I'm grateful for, something I'm thankful, thankful for. And that's what this wristband that I got is about. So I'll, I'll print some of these with active recall and put them on the merch page. Anyway, next up, the infinite machine. So I think I mentioned this before, but it's about Ethereum, the creation of Ethereum. It's, it's a narrative nonfiction. I think narrative nonfiction, but just about Vitalik and creating Ethereum and all the other people involved in creating Ethereum. And this just reminded me of one of these articles from, I forget where it was, but it's another World of Warcraft thing that's related that Vitalik had this character and in World of Warcraft it got nerfed so lost some spell or some of like one of its more powerful spells was taken away and he says that he cried all night after that happened and it made him think hard about the downsides of decentralization eventually leading to him work like writing for I think it's Bitcoin magazine and then creating Ethereum and I think he like donated a billion dollars to certain causes this month and then of course crypto crashed so let's move on to the next thing which also happens to be a book about in the crypto space so it's called 21 lessons what i've learned from falling down the bitcoin rabbit hole and this is by someone named Gigi, just one name i thought it was great just reading this book it, it's it's quick i listened to the audiobook in like i think it was less than two hours but it's only like 150 pages, 21 lessons. It's, it's very breezy. Like you can imagine each lesson is like three to five pages. And then now my math's not right there, but yeah, yeah, I guess like each lesson, maybe like five to eight, five to 10 pages and just goes through different things. This person learned as they went deeper and deeper into the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as the title says, but what this does, it's not really 
a deep dive. Like it, it doesn't really like break down the white paper or anything about the technology. It's more about the philosophy of Bitcoin. And I thought that was interesting just to get, understand the mindset of the people that are the true believers of technology, just changing the world, reshaping trust and technology and going to a trustless system, that sort of thing. And yeah, I just like, I thought that was interesting just to understand that perspective, not to say that that's the reason that it's popular and that Bitcoin is, is pot, like these things are popular. They go in ups and downs and there's different waves. And a lot of it is because it's hype cycles, repeating hype cycles, that kind of thing. And something that I read that was good to remember is like multiple things can be true and these two things can be true that are kind of at opposites that a lot of very smart people believe blockchain technology will be key to the future and things like in the infinite infinite machine the title of that is that it enables programs to be run forever without anyone being able to intervene and so yeah i I don't I'm not I don't count myself in very smart people. So but there are people much smarter than me that do see things in this and see th- this as the future. And on the other side of that, it's also true that it can be a, a space where there's a lot of scams going on. There's a lot of people taking advantage of other people, taking advantage of their audience. Not everyone is doing this. It's just different sides of this. And then also just like people that really don't understand, like they don't understand how this is all working and it's there's shady things going on. And of course there is the history of it being the currency for the Silk Road. So there's that history. So it's not like there's like a mysterious, like that, that happened. And this was just a good book to get an overview of the philosophy behind all of this. Last one is called How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. I just started listening to this, um, started reading. Oh, actually, I'm reading this mostly. I got it after hearing Katie Melkman on a podcast. I think I got this actually on recommendation, and it was on Twitter. Annie Duke, the poker player and author of How to Decide and Thinking in Bets, she recommended this book by Katie Milkman. And yeah, it's just about changing your behaviors. It's not specifically about habits, but in kind of that same space. So this is one quote from it, and I love this. It says, or she she writes, just consider the recent high-profile attempt to reduce obesity by requiring calorie labeling in chain restaurants. It turns out that telling people how many calories are in a Big Mac, Big Mac, or a frappuccino reduces calorie consumption well essentially not at all that's the end of the quote thought that was great just to demonstrate that knowledge is not power all the time that knowledge is not action and information is not enough you need to take action and i'm hopeful this book has been good so far or really like great so far and I listened to a few interviews with Katie Melkman and yes, just like the thinking that she has put into this. Yeah, it's her career. And I think also she's talked about just how much she enjoys her career and falls very much into the camp of doing what you love will definitely lead to happiness. It's not always easy to get there and it's, but it's worth doing the work to get there. And that is something that I want to 
do is continue to strive to do what I love every day. I've had a taste of that here and there and it always goes and maybe it will always be the case that that fluctuates up up and down forever, but that's something to strive for. And the last quote that she has here is, or that I'm going to say here is these statistics suggest that when we're seeking to change the disruptions to our lives triggered by physical transitions can be just as powerful as the fresh starts spurred by new beginnings on our calendars. This is, that's the end of the quote. This is about, she, she just talks about how we always do like New Year's resolutions, Mondays feel like a fresh start, start of the quarter, start of the semester for students, these different beginnings on calendars. There's a book uh, by Daniel Pink called When, and he goes through, it's, it's great, there's just this list of 88 times, 88 days that you can have fresh starts. It's like first of the month, first of the week, different holidays. And there's all sorts of ways that you can tell yourself that now is going to be a fresh start, but something more powerful, more reliable, if you can make it happen, probably more reliable, but harder to achieve in some way than just like picking a human construct of our minds of the calendar. A better thing could be changing physical location in some way. Life just changes. If you, if you move to a different city, different state, that's a huge change. And that's a great time to, you have completely new cues to work with. If we're talking about like cue routine reward for habits. So that can be a big time to do positive behavior change because you have the power, you have all these new cues to work with and you can put good behaviors in them, but it's hard to move cities. Like no one's, you're not going to hear this and think I'm going to move somewhere else next month, but it's a reminder that there's Good things that can happen if you can set up uh, a different space at home. This was all very hard, like moving locations in the past year. But now that things are opening back up, I am personally looking forward to being able to go to a coffee shop and go right there, go read for a little bit. I miss one thing I very much miss about New York or just like pre-COVID. Something I always did was maybe my body didn't show it actually this is this goes to show probably why i i needed to work out more was oftentimes i would go to the gym and just write and then i would skip my workout because i enjoyed like reading and writing and would just not have any time left to work out which isn't great but i just miss it that i i loved that like there were gyms with very nice lobbies and it'll be good to just go to environments that I enjoy that make me feel good about writing and reading, making these different things, drawing. And a lot of that can be done through physical transitions. And just, I have been continuing to work on my desk setup and that helps as well. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to reading the rest of this book to get some lessons for how to change things. I want to do more, work out more, create more or like publish more and increase the quality of the things that I publish and just look forward to Mondays more. That'll be great as well. Anyway, thanks for listening. Appreciate this. That's my reading log for May. I'll do another reading log in June. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening.